Welcome to the Jao Podcast, a series of conversations between writer-director Rika Ohara, myself, composer John O'Podmore, and members of the team drawn together to create a feature film based on Lord Byron's epic poem. Today, we are sitting at Azimuth Studio in London with Raul Brand, sound designer and sound editor and mixer, whose credits include Flux Gourmet, the new feature film by Peter Strickland, the documentary Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché, and he supervised and mixed the British crime drama series Queens of Mystery last year. And with John Podmore, composer. The listeners know me already, don't they, for moderating these podcasts and oh, yes. the, the previous episodes. John is a host with the most. <laughs> and I'm merely the director, so... <laughs> Anyway, Raoul. Hello. Can you explain to us what film sound design is? Because there are so many things that go into it which are not visible. Yes, well, thanks for having me. And it's exciting to see you in person for the first time after talking on Zoom Mm -hmm. so many times before. Um, Sound design, for me, um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. A lot of people understand it as creating special sound effects like for sci-fi films if you think of star wars Mm -hmm. for example um the lightsaber creating sound effects that are new and never been heard before and especially in in games and films that are science fiction fantasy yeah fantasy films um the way i look at it more is um like maybe a production designer would when they create the set for a film is more about atmosphere, mm-hmm. creating a, a kind of emotion or a, a tone mm-hmm. to support the story. And it gets very detailed the way we layer the atmospheres and, and create tiny sound effects, which can be very organic sounds, mm-hmm. but they help to create depth in the story and, and create emotion. It's really interesting hearing you say that, that the sound design has a, an emotional impact because a very simplistic division of the music and the sound design is that the music is dealing with the emotional content of the narrative and the sound design is dealing with the specifics where it is the space and actually creating the the creating part of the production design the reality is much more nuanced the music in relation to the sound design are both working on the emotional impact of the film yeah yeah Yeah, I I would think that what I do is manipulating the audience just as much as music, but it's not Mm -hmm. quite as obvious. It's more more invisible. You're working more with like their intuitive, instinctive perception. Yeah. Yeah, like as as an example, choosing the right bird sounds Mm -hmm. or when to play the birds or when to take them away. Mm -hmm. It's more like a subliminal Mm -hmm. reaction that we have. And maybe psychologically, we're, we're born or grow up expecting certain conventions and when they're not there it has got a different feeling sometimes we get obsessed with sounds with tiny sounds like when you can't sleep for example and there is a there's a drip or there's there's a hum from from the fridge or something and and these sounds they, they wouldn't bother you like on a normal day but when you really tune into it you can obsess over them and i think these are all kind of the things that i try to take into account when i design a scene in a film I really think the vision that 
you perceive things. I mean, you you look at things and you intellectually understand, but the sound you feel it almost because that you know the way we hear things, we just hear it resonating on our bones. It's something more visceral about it. Yeah, quite possibly. There is this thing that music is the state to which all the arts aspire. Okay, that was written by a musician, but <laughs> but the, but I think the point is is that there is an understood direct relationship of sound to emotion, and whether that's sound in sound design or music with musical instruments, it's still dealing with abstract, which can go straight through to an emotional response. There's no translation involved. Mm. You know, there's no translation of turning something into abstract ideas. It's mm-hmm. it's a direct thing the way that we respond to sound. Yeah, and is uh, I think that's why also there there is a is a very gray area between uh, sound design and music, where for example a, a wind sound like a moaning tonal wind, you could almost see that as music because it's got like a similar quality mm. and and I think this is what I'm looking forward to with with Jono is kind of figuring out what those gray areas are and how we can make use of them in in See the that's... in the film. Raul, you have edited um what language was was that in uh, I am not a witch which was official UK submission for the best foreign language film in the uh, 91st Academy Awards in 2019 you edited the dialogue in English Nianja Did I say? Am I saying it right? Bemba and Tongan. Yes. Do you speak any of those languages? <laughs> uh, no, I don't, and I don't actually think it's necessary to edit dialogues in a foreign language. I, I think it can help in a case where you might want to look for a better performance in a different take of the same shot. But a lot of times, when I edit dialogues, I don't really listen to the content as much. I just listen to the sound. And a lot of times that means the noise or everything that I don't want to hear, like background noise or mm-hmm. mouth clicks mm-hmm. or someone hitting the table or something. So no, it's it's not a problem. At the moment, I'm working on a Danish documentary, and as I'm working, I've got the subtitles, so I know what's going on, but I don't have to be able to understand the language. But also, you are focusing on performance as well. Y- yes. So yeah, that's when the emotional content just transcends your perception of what is being said. Yes, and interestingly, I find that in all languages, it's quite easy to understand if you have the visual to go with it. It's quite easy to understand where the emotion is going. A lot of that, then, in my case, might come down to editing breaths, for example. Where I think that's kind of universal, and you don't have to be able to to mm-hmm. speak it to mm-hmm. to edit those moments. And I, I guess that will be one of the things that we're talking about with our film is having ADR sessions for breaths, and especially the intimate moments mm-hmm. yeah. where all the sound at that point might be reduced to just breaths and maybe mm-hmm. the rustle of. Silk, expensive silk, silk yeah. off yes. of the silk. <laughs> just to take you back, just for our listeners' purposes, you mentioned ADR. What is ADR? Well, it's short for automated dialogue replacement, and is basically a process where, after the day of the shoot on location, the actors get asked to come into the studio and revisit their performance. And there could be like two main reasons. One would be that there is a technical fault on the day; either the microphone wasn't working correctly, or 
there was an aeroplane going overhead, especially in a period drama. That's uh, <laughs> that's very bad. So they might have to redo their dialogue in the booth. And the the other reason would be if lines of dialogue are edited after they've been mm. shot. So mm-hmm. if in the in the picture edit you find you're missing a vital clue to tell the audience where something's going, then you've got the opportunity to fix that. And usually it's done with a shot of the, the camera over the back of an actor where you can't see their mouth moving. So you, mm-hmm. you've got the opportunity to put in some extra words. And the ADR would be done in a room not dissimilar to this one. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and some actors really embrace it and they love coming back and Mm -hmm. enhancing their performance and some don't like it at all. But it obviously is a very difficult thing to do, you know, to come back months later Mm -hmm. and... Get uh, back into the character. Yeah, get back into character and do it in front of a TV screen on your own and not in front of someone you're acting with. So it is a difficult thing, but we try and help people to feel comfortable. Raul, so you are actually coming to Greece. You're not going to be just sitting in a studio, but you're going to be coming with us to Greece. Could you please explain this uh, acoustics harvesting kind of thing that I cannot quite... um... Yeah, so part of the plan is to gather some authentic ambiences from the region, just in terms of the wildlife. And, well, I think part of the problem that we have is that it's a period piece and there's nowhere on this planet where we can get away from man-made noise anymore. So this is one of the challenges I see for this film. So part of my plan is to go out and find some remote areas around where the film is going to be shot Mm -hmm. um, to record ambiences But also I want to visit the locations and uh, one of the things that we can do is we can take what's called impulse responses of the locations if there's a specific reverb that Mm -hmm. is generated in a particular room, like the reflections coming Mm -hmm. off the concrete. Mm -hmm. There is the underwater bath Mm -hmm. scene that we Mm -hmm. talked about, which is more like a cave-like architecture. And what we can do is we can basically sample the reverb in that room Mm -hmm. and then use that digitally to put on voices and sound effects later on. So it all feels like it's coming from from that space. That's going to be fantastic because, you know, that's how we can, like, bring in this on a soul of that hotel, Imarat. Yes, it is like effectively recording the character of the place and then applying it to material recorded elsewhere. The science of the system is called convolving and a friend of mine was creating some convolving software once and he said to me, it's very simple, it's basically just multiplication. It's quite simple maths, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the maths, but I, ha- I, have, I have tried it before. It works with like a test tone that you mm. send through a loudspeaker mm. and then you record that and it will have the coloration of, of the room and the software then can translate that okay. into what's called an impulse response. So we could put any sound through it and it will sound like it's performed in that space. That actually kind of ties right back into what we were talking about, that sound design being, you know, just bringing emotion into our viewing experience of the film, that it's quite, quite important for me to have this feeling of being protected in some of the scenes 
because war orphan Lara just is plucked out of this war zone and he's brought into the harem where women and children lived in large Ottoman households. And he is basically protected. And the reason he is in there and pretending to be a girl is because he needed to be safe. Be safe, exactly. And that's what Baba tells him. You're safe here. So we've got to make the sound of safety. Can we do it, Raul? <laughs> well, I think I think we touched on that before, didn't we? We talked about adding a canary. Oh, um, yes. Yes, that too. Which I think is, is, is a little songbird that people used to keep at home to keep them happy and create an atmosphere. And who knows what's going to happen to the canary later on in the film. <laughs> we are not going to disclose that. I have the last shot planned for that, but <laughs> no spoilers. Thank you very much for inviting us into your workspace, your safe workspace. <laughs> it's very nice to have you. You have been listening to the Gearwu podcast by the creators of the feature film based on Lord Byron's 1813 best-selling poem. I am the writer-director Rika O'Hara and... I'm composer John O'Podmore. Thank you again for listening and look out for the next episode of the Jaw Podcast. <laughs>